Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens today. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Paul Rudnick, the screenwriter behind films that include Adam's Family Values and In and Out. Rudnick has also written several plays, the essay collection I Shudder, and is a regular contributor to the New Yorker's Shouts and Murmurs column. He's now turning his attention to teens with his new novel, Gorgeous, which is being published in May by Scholastic Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. Gorgeous is a Cinderella story for the 21st century. Becky Randall's life in a trailer park in East Trolley, Missouri, involves working the checkout line at the local grocery store and devouring celebrity culture with her morbidly obese mother. That all changes when Becky's mother suddenly dies, and Becky uncovers a connection between her mother and the ultra-famous fashion designer Tom Kelly. Soon, Becky is whisked to New York City, where Tom bestows her with three custom-made dresses, one red, one white, one black, that transform her into nothing less than the most beautiful woman in the world. Paul, thank you for speaking with me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for doing this. So, uh, since this story has such a fairy tale premise, I'm curious, are you, are you a big fan of the classic old stories with their magical wish fulfillment and rules and restrictions and happily ever afters? I am. I'm a big fan, first of all, of happy endings. And I also have always loved iconic characters, whether it's a Peter Pan or a Pippi Longstocking or a Cinderella, for that matter. I love characters that clearly touch some sort of chord in just about everyone. So I've always sort of longed to create someone on that scale. In the book, you have a lot of fun sort of at the expense of celebrity culture and consumer culture. Um, when it comes to our obsessions with Hollywood royalty or royalty royalty, is that in some way us trying to recapture like a past sense of fairy tale romance, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think that's storytelling for our time, especially, say, in light of something like the, the current rivalry, especially in the media, between Kate Middleton and Kim Kardashian, <laughs> the way we're pitting American pop culture and weight obsession against English perfection. And it's sort of both horrifying and hugely entertaining to see how much we're all, myself very much included, invested in this epic tale of two pregnant women with very different styles. So they both become fairy tale creatures in, in very odd ways, and but somehow gripping ways. So yeah, I think that's, that's how we tell stories nowadays. And uh, let's talk about how this uh, story came to be. Uh, how and when did this, the idea sort of begin to come together for you? Well, it was initially sparked by a conversation I had with my mother. This was a few years back, and it was a few weeks actually before she died. And she was going through a box of photographs of herself as a teenager and a very young woman. And as she went through them, she looked up at me and she said... I used to think I was so ugly, but I looked great. And it was a heartbreaking moment, but, the, but then she laughed because that's, that's how we do things in my family. But it so spoke to me about beauty and appearance and how that can rule our lives for, for good and for not so good. And I'd always been thinking about beauty because I think it's one of those, it's both a dirty secret and something that is everywhere. Um, so that I was interested, also I was interested in fashion in terms of actual magic. I think in a way designers are modern day wizards. So I was always interested in using someone of of worldwide influence, a real global brand, 
as something of of a Dumbledore or a wicked or a, a fairy godmother, that kind of thing, to see if that influence could have a genuine magic to it. So it came out of just a lot of things I'd been thinking about, but especially about just watching my mom sort of take an overview of her life in terms of of beauty and what that meant to her and how foolish that could seem and how essential at the same time. Hmm. And did you always see this as a a book for teenagers? What happened was, what I've learned kind of through my career is I never think about the final form any given story will take until the story tells me what to do. And so I wasn't sure at first what where Becky Randall, the heroine of, of Gorgeous, might take me. And I thought, is this a play? Is this a movie? What is this? And it wasn't until I started writing the book in Becky's voice, in the first person, until I became this 18-year-old from a Missouri trailer park, that everything fell into place. And it also became very clear that this was a young adult novel, because it was about a girl you know, crossing over from, from teen years to early adulthood. And it was about that passionate, insane, fraught stage of life, and also a point at which everyone starts putting themselves together in terms of personality and appearance and ambition. And so I think YA is so ideal for, for stories like that. So I was just thrilled that I suddenly could, could write for, this, for a new audience. Yeah, certainly those years are the ones where beauty and transformation and becoming the person you're meant to be feel like the most important thing uh, in the world. Oh, absolutely. And it's scary how long that feeling endures. (laughs) Now, without spoiling too much, uh, there is a point in the book where it looks like Rebecca, because, of course, Becky becomes Rebecca when she is, you know, transformed by these dresses. It looks like she's on track to become an actual uh, princess. Um, You mentioned uh, Kate Middleton before. Is there a little bit of a a Kate and Will? influence uh, going on with the sort of royalty parts of the book? Oh, absolutely, because it's always fascinated me how whenever American tabloids and celebrity weeklies, whether it's People or Us or In Touch, when they put English royals on the cover, those are almost always best-selling issues. And it's something that shouldn't make sense. We broke away from that culture. We're a democracy. We're America. We're proud that we don't have a king and a queen, and yet we remain utterly obsessed and i'm very i myself very much included there's something about royalty that i think there's a romance there and almost a wonderful irrational sense of fantasy that everybody relates to and i think kate is just the very latest chapter and a pretty glorious one too i think it's also it would be very scary to be Kate Middleton because of the the pressure from media, from every blog, everyone with an opinion. But it's, you know, she's someone who has become our representative and our Kate. And it's not, God knows it's not just England, it's everywhere. Hmm. And uh, and since we are lacking in a uh, royalty of our own, it sounds like you see a little bit see um, Hollywood as our sort of American best attempt to uh, to recreate some of that glamour for ourselves. Oh, absolutely. If you look at someone like Jennifer Lawrence, especially in her red carpet appearances and in her romances, there's a focus on her that goes far beyond her work as an actress. You know that she's someone who fascinates the world. She's someone we want to follow, someone we might want to be, someone we would dream about. So, yeah, there. I think movie stars have the, the glamour quotient and God knows the wardrobes uh, <laughs> to become our, our royals. 
And um, speaking of your uh, your own teenage years, uh, I'm curious, were you a big reader then? Oh, obsessed. And also, I from a, I think I got my first job when I was either 12 or 13 working in a library where, because I was pretty inept, all they would let me do all day was shelve books, which was fine by me because I could, you know, take any book I wanted and go hide in the rear shelves and pretend I was working. And books also, my, uh, my two aunts were both librarians and my mom worked for a literary magazine. So books were really the holy grail in our house. So uh, what were some of your favorites in that case? Well, I think when I was a kid, there were a lot of classics that I loved, things like A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. Uh, The Frank Baum Oz books were huge. I also was, at a very young age, obsessed with a series of biographies for kids in which they took historical figures, whether it was George Washington or Benjamin Franklin, and they told their stories as teenagers. And it only occurred to me later that these, there wasn't a lot of research about what these people were really like as teenagers. <laughs> I love being able to relate to them that way, that sense of, of, you know, teen George Washington and how he misbehaved and what, how he, you know, goofed off, things like that. So I read all of them, even when the individual figure was someone involved in, in aviation or, or war or something that wasn't a particular interest of mine, I just was fascinated by their lives, by that early entree into people of enormous fame and accomplishment. And uh, what about now? Have you, during the process of putting this book together, have you been spending time with uh, books that are currently being put out there for teens? Oh, absolutely. I have become just such a YA addict, especially because these books are some of the most passionate and purely entertaining books of any kind from any any field, so that everything from you know the classics from Harry Potter and Hunger Games to things like David Levithan, I love um, Will Grayson, Will Grayson, mm-hmm. and and Dash and Lily's Book of Dares, and things like Divergent. You know, I I kind of bounce back and forth between the darker dystopian books and things that are a little bit more hopeful and sometimes a little more character driven. But it's such an exciting place to be right now because then you know there's so much crossover appeal too for adults which i completely understand because you get there's just a, a kind of intensity to these books that is sometimes lacking in in more adult fiction because i think these books need to grab the reader instantly and really carry them along and make sure they stick stick to the narrative and that's i think a wonderful challenge and discipline for a writer Hmm. And I suppose in some ways, too, if you're, if you're an adult reading back on you know, the sort of the excitement and the trials of the teenage years, it's, there's something about that that's actually not so dissimilar than wanting to imagine oneself as a, as a princess or something else. It's sort of going back to this, this place you can't quite get or this person who you aren't anymore or, you know, might not become. Uh, a bit of that, although what's frightening is, and sort of also gratifying, is how alive those dilemmas still are for anyone at any age, practically. Especially, it's or, or daunting, because when you read, say, something like Hunger Games, where the heroine is so brave and so beleaguered and placed in situations that most of us, luckily, will never have to, have to face, but that that's very exciting. And you don't think in terms of, ah, what if I were a teenage girl facing the crossbow? Right. You just think, oh my God, what would I do? She's so much better at this than I will ever be. <laughs> um, so, so humor and wit uh, are pretty much pervasive in, in your writing. And I wonder, uh, what do you think it takes to write 
books or films or plays that are that are genuinely funny? Is it is it observation? Is it just sort of dedication and practice exercise? I think it's all of the above. Also, I was raised in a funny family where my mom and my aunts especially became a kind of comedy team. There was just a rhythm to their get-togethers where they just delighted in making each other laugh. And with laughter was used very much as a defense against all the horrors of the world. So I think when you're raised that way, it doesn't occur to you not to be funny. So that it is in a sense of... I set out to write a comic novel. That's just what pops out. And I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for that. But so it's, I think you all, there is a certain extra awareness of your readership or of the audience in terms of of a movie or a play where you want to make people laugh and you're hungry for it and you aim for it. And it's, you know, it's like when you watch a stand-up comic and they talk about killing, that's that's the instinct you've got where you think, okay, I want to hit them where they live, and I want them to laugh uncontrollably. So that's, I think that's a, a noble goal, so, and it's something I've always had. So it's, yeah, but mostly it's, it's pure instinct. Hmm. And, uh, you know, without trying to be oxymoronic, uh, humor is not always taken seriously, I guess. Um, given, you know, the way that you use a subversive humor and satire in your writing, what sort of power do you think uh, humor and wit can, uh, can wield? Oh, it's it's infinite, and I'm, and it's so useful for a writer because you can get at all sorts of dangerous territory while making the reader laugh. What I love is being able to surprise the reader with what they will find themselves laughing at. You know, that sort of wonderful, shameful laughter where they think, oh, this is naughty, this is wicked. I shouldn't be laughing at this, and yet I cannot help myself. And it gives you just many points of view, too, which is also what I love about about fiction, that when you're talking about very charged, very volatile issues like beauty and self-esteem and power, that if you're right writing nonfiction or you're writing an editorial, you're kind of presenting a single point of view, and it's usually your own, and it's very easily attacked. But in a novel, you could take every possible point of view, and you can have people say the most outrageous things, and then someone might counter them, but you have just access to so many voices. And uh, were there any particular moments in the book or jokes or scenes that sort of came together in a way that you're you're particularly glad with or that you feel like really hit the mark for you? Oh, there were a few things that are that sort of became my favorites, which uh, but that may just be personal. But there's there's both a scene in a value bright drugstore, which ever since CVS and Dwayne Reed have taken over the world, we've all been in those overlit stores with their strangely, you know, diffident staff (laughs) and so it was kind of a special joy to really explore that there's also a section with two pretty much unemployed actresses in a very grungy new york apartment that i know very well and i kind of the two characters who are amy and suzanne um are both appalling and I hope endearing because they're people who I've known all too well over my years working in the theater. So that I, I, I just, I think it, what I did what any writer does, which is you fall in love with everybody in the book. Especially the, the other thing that I found was I wanted to create a believable central romance, which between Becky and Prince Gregory, who's the crown prince of England. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a hard buy for the reader, but I wanted them to feel both like any couple of kids anywhere 
and also like a kind of dream couple where you could think, yeah, that's the date I want to go on. So, um, so I worked very hard on their exchanges and on making them feel both a little sort of wonderfully cloud-born and also down-to-earth and, and edgy, but that I just wanted to see if I could write a romance that people would believe in. Hmm. There was something very, uh, the exchanges between them are very sort of witty and sometimes body. You know, he's joking about, you know, just saying the phrase, the crown jewels makes him feel like he has to like unzip his pants or something. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I also thought, okay, what did these people sound like when they're not being interviewed on 60 minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the book is not out there just yet, but I'm curious as it slowly sort of makes its way out, have you been getting some sort of early reactions, especially this being your first uh, book for teens? I have, and it's been so far, and I'm knocking on every piece of wood where I'm sitting, um, that it's been terrific, especially because I've been hearing from 15-year-olds, especially from young women, and they are, they're very tough-minded, but when they like something, they're so effusive and so passionate, and it's just the, the response that, that writers dream of. Because I got a letter the other day from, from a 15-year-old who had read an early galley of the book, and she loved it. And she told me all of her favorite parts, and she told me how her friend Sarah loved it. And it was just, I had never gotten quite that, that letter before. So it's something I really am going to treasure. And I've been getting other, other kind of similar responses. So it's, um, you know, so far it's a little giddy. And, uh, you know, you've written, of course, both for the stage and for the screen. Um, and certainly this book, you know, between the dresses and the glamour and the Hollywood moments, there's a very cinematic feel to it. Do you have any hopes of uh, this, you know, maybe making the jump to the big screen or something like that? Well, it has been optioned for a movie by by Summit. So, and I'm I'm working on the screenplay now. So, okay. you know, there's this. Who knows what will happen? But, but it's a wonderful opportunity. Excellent. And uh, what's next for you in general, given that you are working in so many different uh, sort of media at a time? Well, I'm already writing my next book for Scholastic because I've had such a blast here. Scholastic has been so welcoming and such a joy that it's it's been unnerving because I have the world's best editor, Rachel Griffiths, and the best team here. So now I'm trying to write something else that will please them. All right. Excellent. Well, look forward to seeing that book and uh, best of luck as uh, Gorgeous makes its way out into the world. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Well, once again, I've been speaking with uh, Paul Rudnick, whose first book for teens is Gorgeous, published by Scholastic Press. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.